what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Foot Candle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.tv. My name is Alan. Across from me is Chris. Hello, everyone. Chris, how are you doing today? Doing good. Doing good. Good. Great. A couple of big movies to talk about. We do have two big movies to talk about. This is our film review and discussion show here on The Mesh, where we normally review anywhere from one to three movies an episode, and then we follow that up with some news items that we have to share, and that will be the case in this episode as well. We have a couple of news items to discuss about some ongoing new productions that we're uh, interested in or maybe curious of. And then we end the show with each of us giving a recommendation of a film that either we've caught up with recently or something that we've just uh, remembered that we thought would be a good uh, film to pass along if you're looking for something, let's say, this weekend. Want to find a film online that you maybe haven't seen before? Looking for some suggestions? That's what we're here to do. So with that, Chris, we're going to jump right into our first review. Well, we've got two reviews, but our first review is going to be the latest Marvel Studios production. Starring all 145 superheroes that they have introduced <laughs> in the past 10 years right. of, of Marvel films. It is Avengers Infinity War. And then we'll follow that up with a, a review of the latest film by Wes Anderson, stop motion animation film called Isle of Dogs. So Chris, are we ready to go into the infinity? Yes. Awesome. I guess. Here we are with Avengers Infinity War. There was an idea. To bring together a group of remarkable people. To see if we could become something more. So when they needed us, we could fight the battles. That they never could. Chris, Avengers Infinity War uh, is the... You could almost say it was positioned as the culmination of what the Marvel Studios films have been doing for the last several years. You have the blending of the Avengers franchise, which we've had two Avengers films so far, the original Avengers, and then we also had Age of Ultron. So we have those characters, which, you know, that's the Captain America, you've got the the Iron Man, you've got the Thor, Black Widow, Hulk, and Hawkeye, although Hawkeye is not in this film. Spoiler. Sorry. I should have said that up front. <laughs> Oops. Um, it said pretty quickly on. He's not in any of the promotional materials. So, guys, he's not in the movie. If, right. you're, if you're going in because you're a huge Hawkeye fan, you're going to be sorely disappointed. <laughs> All right. Then we blend in also the Guardians of the Galaxy. Which they've had a two movies so far in the franchise. We also blended in Black Panther, which we reviewed in the last couple of months. And it was a big blockbuster hit for Marvel in, I believe, February of this year. I think that's right. Um, I think that's oh, then Spider-Man from yeah. Spider-Man Homecoming is also here. And then Doctor Strange from his independent solo movie as well. So you're bringing all these characters together into one big movie. It's called Infinity War. The general plot line, if it really matters, is the Avengers and their allies must be willing to sacrifice all in an attempt to defeat the powerful Thanos before his blitz of devastation and ruin puts an end to the universe. 
Let me, let me, let me dumb that down a little bit even more. <laughs> Thanos is the big bad guy that we have seen in other previous Marvel movies, typically in the post credit sequences or little teases. He has come to earth because he has the gauntlet, which is a big glove. We've seen that tease in some other films as well. There are six stones, I believe five or six, six, <laughs> six, six stones six. that go into the glove. If he gets all six stones in the glove, he is like all powerful. So that's his whole thing. He's on a quest to get each of the stones. A couple of them are on Earth. A couple of them are in other places. So he's going around trying to get these stones. Our heroes are trying to stop him from getting said stones to prevent destruction. Thanos' whole deal is he wants to eliminate half the population because he feels like uh, assets are scarce throughout the universe. And he feels like the part of the problems in our universe is that we all fight over limited resources or starve or have wars because of that. He wants to eliminate half the population, solve the problem done. That's his MO in the film. So Chris, uh, there's a lot of people in this film. Yes, there are. You and I have reviewed a lot of Marvel films over the past 10 years. I think we've probably talked about all of them. I would we guess. We had talked about it. We didn't review all of them because we started maybe like around the we time. We may have started a little Avengers, later, but we've, maybe, we spoke, but. as long as we've been doing the show, we have reviewed oh, every new Marvel sure. film that's come out. Absolutely. I have generally been more positive on the Marvel films than you, in general, just as a general swath. There may be one or two that you've liked more than me, but most of them, I, I kind of take the edge on the positive review. Mainly because I'm, I, I grew up a big Marvel Comics fan. I still am a Marvel Comics fan. I like the characters. I have a little more affinity to them probably than you do. Mm-hmm. That all being said, I came out of this movie. The first thing I thought after the credits were done and I walked out of the mm-hmm. theater, as I said, I don't think Chris Fry is going to like this movie. Now, that's um, all I'm posing to you as a situation. Was my instinct, have I known you over these last several years correctly? And did you not enjoy this film? Or are you going to curveball, throw, throw me a curveball and actually have some positive uh, opinion of this film to share with me. I mean, and I'll tell you why I think you don't like I it. Can if you say want to go and explore I can that. say some positives, um, but overall, um, you know, it doesn't do this film any justice or doesn't do, it doesn't help this film that because there was so much hype behind it, I was like, you know what? I need to go back and watch Captain America Civil War just so I kind of know where everybody stands. Cause the last Marvel movie I'd seen was black Panther and Thor, Thor Ragnarok. So, but I didn't have like an Avengers concept of what was going on in my head. So I went back and watched civil war, which that is kind of the outlier of all these movies. That's your favorite. I, I consider you, you that like to that. be an Avengers movie, even though yeah, it's not, but it I just consider it to be. Cause when you were naming them, I was like, wait, isn't civil war? I was like, no, technically that's a captain America. Yes. But yes, out of all these movies, Probably Civil War is my favorite. Okay. So, and I remember we commented on talking about this movie and the hype behind it. I'd said, you know what? I just think it's going to be a disaster. It just seems like they're just pegging too much hopes on it. There are going to be too many characters going to spread too thin. So I went into it with really low expectations. Probably a good way to do it. I think considering what they were trying, I think they bit off more than they can chew. Okay. Um, admirable that they tried to just do like, you know, there was this, I guess, you know, unless you've been hiding under a rock, you've seen the meme. It was like the most ambitious crossover ever. And like, they kept showing, like they would put two pictures, like the murder she wrote in the Magnum PI crossover. Like people on the internet were like making a joke about how 
because, you know, Marvel, part of their publicity behind this was like, this is the most impressive, ambitious crossover in cinema history and all this kind of, you know, just really building it up. Sure. Considering that they were trying to cram all 100 million characters in the Marvel Universe into this one movie, with the exception of Hawkeye and Ant Man and Wasp. No Hawkeye. Um, Oh, and you ruined that too. That's okay. He's not in the promotional material either. So I don't feel like we're spoiling anything on this. Yeah, go ahead. So considering what they were trying to do, Mm -hmm. I felt like they did a semi-decent job of like giving you character moments and you know you have the guardians meeting people for the first time and some of the dialogue is enjoyable there and so they do a good job of kind of orienting orienting you to all the avengers or all the superheroes coming together in this film i thought that he actually handled that better than what i was expecting them to mm-hmm. but when it all comes down to it i just the film was just kind of not that interesting to me they didn't make the journey of Thanos getting the infinity stones, the heroes trying to keep him from doing that. They didn't make that all that interesting. Mm-hmm. And then by the end of the movie, the way the movie ends, which I will avoid trying to spoil anything there, although probably yes. everybody knows, but I'll try to just keep it ambiguous. Mm-hmm. The way the film ends to me seemed kind of cheap. We know, unless you do live under a rock, there is, you know, there's an infinity war part two. I don't even know if they've named it yet. They haven't named it yet, but it's kind of like you kind of felt this was coming. And then the end is like this, you know, big event and it's supposed to have some emotional payoff or emotional like pull on you. And I was just like, okay, just really couldn't even take it seriously. It was kind of like, oh, okay. You know, it's kind of like wonder what's going to happen now. You know, so it just really kind of fell flat for me. Um, so, but, you know, I will say, like I said, you know, they did, it was very ambitious, I guess, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, so they carried it off maybe better than what I thought it was going to be. So it wasn't a complete disaster, mm-hmm. but yeah, I, I, I would not say that I was a huge fan of this movie. So, so you're um, very, you're, yeah, I can't, can't get a read on total positive. Well, I, mean, I, I think you're very rating, middle, middle ground. You're very middle, you know, you're not I like the first. 20 minutes then the rest of it i was kind of bored and then let down by the end so yeah not not a mm. huge fan i okay. guess just to right. put it i mean i can say things that i liked about it or things that i thought were well uh, let me let me know. let me do my little bit sure. on it first how did you and, feel about yeah. it? you being the big fan what right. was your takeaway um i went in with a lot of trepidation just like you did mainly okay. because the sheer volume of people involved right and, Everything I've seen, just the media side of it, was just, wow, how are they going to possibly get all these characters in there and give them any sense of a good storyline to work with? Like you, I was impressed with what they were able to pull off given the tasks that they had. You know, I'm, I'll look at the directors as saying, okay, they were told by Marvel, here's the deal. We want a film that has all these people in it. So go make right. it. And they did. I, for better or for worse, they, I had a really good time with the movie, and well, I'll tell you why. It's because I'm very, I'm very, I'm very, uh, I'm biased, absolutely biased. This movie is the most perfect representation of a comic book. I've I think ever it's seen. the biggest fanboy movie I've ever seen. It and is I a think huge if you're a fanboy, fanboy movie. of it. You're going to like it, but average moviegoer who's maybe not that into it, which would be me, yeah. it's like it's just not a good movie. Whereas yeah. Civil War. I don't think you have to be a fanboy. If you take out all the multiple characters, there's still an interesting storyline and plot that's weaving through that movie yeah. about, 
kind of the relationship between Captain America, Cold War about people yeah. turning against you. Like there's all this stuff there and it's woven together the damage that's really beginning caused by superheroes going around. You know, I won't, okay, Civil War is awesome. This, you strip away the heroes just meeting any, each other. There's not really that much to it. And what it is is really dumb. A glove with a bunch of jewels on it and like the guy, like it just, and then the like, the even like questing after that, like, it just, it just was not I mean, interesting. It's, it's not interesting. It's, you know, I mean, it's the same as Lord of the Rings. I mean, you know, it's the same concept idea, which I know you got your own opinions there. But right. this, it worked for me because I did find a lot of fun in it. And I think, yes, it, it, my main criticism of the movie is that it's not really a movie. Okay? It's not. <laughs> it, it is, it's a video game? It is a uh, four-issue crossover series by Marvel comics where we're going to throw all of our characters together and have them have a big battle. Well, there's no, it, there's no plot line. There's no, you know, build to anything as, as much, but, but it was fine. I, I had a really good time because I do like most of the characters in this universe. The fact that I'm watching some scenes and I'm feeling like, you know, this is exactly like I would imagine if you had told the 12 year old me reading comic books and I'm reading the big issues where everybody teams up and they're up against a really big villain. I never would have imagined that they could have actually put that on a film and make it actually kind of work. And that's how I was feeling about this. And two hours and 30 minutes. No way. Too long. I think you, this stra- sounds strange for me to say because I don't like these movies really. I'm getting really burned out on them. But I think if they had broken, like, unlike The Hobbit, which they made into, like, 15 movies, mm-hmm. and, like, Lord of the Rings, like, they, The Return of the King was, like, 18 million different endings on that one. Like, if they had taken Infinity War Part 1 and actually split it up into Part 1 and Part 2, and then, like, if I think that was the problem is they made it. It was too long. They tried to cram. You're saying they crammed in a four-comic book series into one movie. Yeah, that's a mistake. That's a mistake. Mm-hmm. They actually should have boiled it down a little bit more and just separated it out because I think they tried to do too much. And the stuff that's enjoyable for me. And I feel like for a lot of other people is the character interactions. And instead it was just battle scene, battle scene, battle scene, battle scene, battle scene. And it was a little bit of funny stuff, but then a lot of time it didn't work because people are getting killed and they kind of make a joke and you're like, okay, <laughs> like that doesn't really like tone was not really well balanced. And that's what was so strange for me. It's not like, these are different directors. No, these are the same guys that did Civil War and that did Winter Soldier, Captain mm-hmm. America Winter Soldier. So, you know, it's like, I, I guess, yeah, like you're saying, they were just given the script and said, okay, guys, do this. And they didn't have much control over how they carried out doing it. Um, yeah. And the thing is, Thanos... I'm just going to let you keep going. You, you, com- <laughs> you compare... You compare you know, you talked about how you're a big fan of Marvel, and I'm more of a DC guy, but I admit the movies have been terrible. Um, the original Nolan Batmans were good, Burton's Batman, but everything else is kind of garbage. Justice League was garbage. Mm-hmm. And why was Justice League garbage? They had like this weirdo superhero that was all CGI and like came from some other world, kind of like a Thanos type thing. And it was terrible. Mm-hmm. Like he didn't, he wasn't grounded. And that's, that's what I said is that Infinity War, Thanos is kind of an interesting character. I think he's a very interesting character. Josh Brolin, who voices Thanos, and you can tell like he's modeled after him and stuff, facial-wise. Interesting. He did a good job with voice work. It's just something about better directors or maybe a better script would have given you 
more of an understanding because like his logic and then how they try to make you feel kind of sympathetic for him with some of the things that end up happening in the movie about how he has to make some choices and it just doesn't, I don't know. And there again, maybe split infinity war up a little more and maybe you could get behind in the mind of Thanos a little more and it would make more sense. Mm. But unless you're a fanboy and you're just there to see the story that you already know is going to happen being brought to life on screen, with no changes or no creativity, then have at it. Then I guess it's awesome. But for the average moviegoer that just wants a good movie in itself, yeah, not not that Im- well, not that impressive. I think you're more in a minority on that. Quite honestly, just apparently because, I yeah, am. Yeah, because yeah, it's gonna making say, a lot of money. Well, and the reviews so. are—I mean, the audience reviews are like really, really high. So, so I get it. I, I understand what you're saying, mm-hmm. and I. I, I I do think if you have more of an affinity for the characters and the history and kind of that comic book serial storytelling mentality to it, this totally works, I think, much, much better. Yeah, if you Not have an appreciation of the serial, serial mentality and getting yeah. strung along for dozens of movies, then the ending of this movie, you're probably like, oh, and you like, I, are totally into it and bind it and just can't wait. Such a piece of garbage, the ending. Such garbage. Wow. Such okay. garbage. See, all right. Such garbage. The thing is, and I can't right. really go into why because well, let's just say know, I'll just say uh, you read cheap, it, you open up a comic cheap. book that comes out in November, and the end of the issue has this major cliffhanger where it looks like a character something happens to a character, and you're just like, oh, you know, by December January that character's coming back, but it's part of the fun of how are they going to do it, <laughs> what's going to happen. That's where that's where the fun is. No, did I watch the ending and think, oh my gosh, this is permanent, this is crazy, this is like this is going to change everything? No, I'm like, okay, by the next movie, everything will be changed again but there again it, it, so it, nothing it, has any stakes and nothing matters welcome to comic book world <laughs> so you know yeah, I mean, it's a dumb world it unless you're in eighth grade uh, or seventh grade like it's stupid dude I, stakes, I read these you know? i enjoy these so they're not dumb they're fun so i mean it's a fun time side of storytelling so you know it's, it's serial storytelling it's been around since the Gosh, I don't know how long. I mean, it's been around I forever. I guess serial this storytelling idea. to me can be made more interesting. And this was just so predictable, like the way it ended and everything. You're like, huh, okay. Like you're, ha- if they were actually gutsy enough to follow up on anything that happens in the ending and like keep some of that true, that would be amazing. Okay, well, and I would change. <laughs> I mean, maybe they will. I mean, some, some of the things I do think they're uh, going to wow. be kept permanent. I think some are going to happen. I mean, I'm just, I'm, I'm not trying to tease anything or spoil anything, but there'll be some of that. Oh man. So I, mean, I don't think it's fair to judge the film on what they're not going to do in the next one. I think it's, you know, you judge the you film judge, on what, what you, you judge saw it on what it screen. is, what you saw. And you know, I, I think you and I differ on it. I, I enjoyed it. I claim, I will clearly say, I don't think it was a traditional movie. If you go in expecting a start middle end with a plot and with fur, true development. No, this is like a, We've been developing this universe for 10 years, and now we're going to do a film that's like really servicing everything we've done, and we're just going to dump everybody together, and it's going to be a bunch of fights, and it's going to be a lot of like fun stuff. And for people who've enjoyed it for 10 years, you're going to enjoy it. If you have not been enjoying it for the last 10 years, you're definitely not going to enjoy this movie because it doesn't do anything different than what we've been building up for this time. And I guess so. I, ha- I shouldn't have. The worst thing I could have done was watch Civil War. Because yeah. if I'd gone in with Avengers and Avengers Age of Ultron – then I'd have been like, yeah, I'm going to hate this. I'm going to come out and been like, yeah, it's kind of what I thought it would be. But Civil War gave me that, gave me that false hope. Just yeah. gave me false hope. I uh, uh, let me hit some of the more specifics on here, and you can sure. do the same as well too. So I, uh, I, I, I did think Thanos was a really well developed villain. 
it could he have had more development? Absolutely. But th- yeah, at the same I time, he was interesting. I'm not going to say he wasn't DC level terrible. Um, yeah. Well developed. I don't know that I'll go there. Well, but I think he had potential. As much as you I'll can be in a movie potential. with this many characters, I think he actually got <laughs> more screen time and more development than I expected him to. Hmm. With this many characters, I expected him to just be the guy everybody's punching up on. But really, we actually got a little bit more out of it. I I really think it was impressive the animation on him. I think the the motion capture was really really strong, uh, much better than what I've traditionally seen. Character actually had some something to him other than I'm a bad guy. I'm from another planet and I'm here to destroy everything. There was more to it. And I think they, you know, could it have been developed more? Absolutely. Could anything in this movie have been developed more? Sure. We could have strung out all of this for like 10 more years if we wanted to, but there was a need to go ahead and kind of wrap it up, put it all into a movie for better or for worse. And I think, uh, I think it was a fun watch. Now I will say this. I don't really have any desire to watch it again. Uh-huh. I mean, that's one thing that's interesting about it. I did notice afterwards is like, I had a good time. I thought many of the sequences were really fun. I enjoyed a lot of the character interaction. I liked the villain itself. I didn't mind the way it ended because I was already in a very comic book mentality and I know how these things go, but it was still, I think even knowing that, I think it was handled pretty interestingly. But it's also one of the Marvel movies I really don't have much of a desire to see again. Because, again, I think the reason why I want to go back and rewatch films sometimes is you're picking up on things that you might not have noticed and there's more development you're watching of characters. There's none of that in here. So there's really nothing to go back and watch again. It's not a criticism of the film. It's just saying, you know, the rewatchability is pretty low, I think, on this one compared to other films that have come out. I just can imagine how laughable the first 30 minutes of Infinity War Part 2 is going to be. Prove me wrong, but I think I'm going to really hate that one even more than I like. That's going to be the worst movie of this franchise for me because I just don't see how they can redeem it. But wow, okay, you you started out okay on the review. You've kind of gotten progressively worse as you've gone. I was trying to be I was trying to be nice to it, I guess, um, because. But I mean, come on, better better than Justice League, right? I mean, Justice League was garbage. I mean, it didn't have anything fun and enjoyable with it. I mean, better than Justice League, but that's like saying... Well, I I know, but I'm just trying to set some sort of like parameter, like some sort of like balancing here to like... It's like better than Howard the Duck? Well, yes. Well, I know, but I think the biggest equivalent... Better than Butter Power Rangers? The biggest equivalent we've got on this is, you know, in the last year or two is probably the Justice League as far as a culmination type movie and we're going to throw all these characters into it. Well, see, that's what's so heartbreaking to me is that individual ones of these movies, the first Guardians movie, liked it. Mm -hmm. Um... I actually liked the Thor movies. I'm in minority on that. Mm-hmm. Um, like I actually liked the first one and I actually the second one wasn't as good, but I liked it. Okay. Um, this, and like the Captain America movies, I've liked all of them. So that's what hurts even more is I don't like Avengers movies. The one prior to this, I call civil war. It was actually decent. So even though I had expectations, cause I said, this is too many characters. What always happens in comic movies and it's going to be a disaster. I had that glimmer of hope. So I started off being like, well, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be, but I thought it was going to be really, really, really God awful, terrible. Mm-hmm. And as it is, it's just disappointing, a letdown of what could have been a lot better. Mm-hmm. So yeah. And I, you know, in the minority, that's okay. Right. So any comic book fans out there, <laughs> all uh, your hate Chris, Chris's email, I'll, I'll share it with you later in the show. So I thought it was a great representation of serialized comic book storytelling. Uh, not it's a movie. It was Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. (laughs) 
No, there's no <laughs> way that that is where you take uh, that serialized storytelling. It is. It is. The problem with the Crystal Skull is you took characters that had had such great storytelling elements. Agreed. And <laughs> you tried to put them into a plot that did not work at all for the characters. Hmm. And you lost sight of who the characters were. I, I will argue till, uh, till the end of the day that all the characters in Infinity War, even though they don't have any individual personal development, are still very, very true to who they've been oh, built up in this I'm universe. I'm not denying that. See, for Indiana Jones, Crystal Skull was a, sh- a shallow version of I just of wish they could have been yeah. given more to do in Infinity well, War. Well, I mean, you know, then, you they're, know. They're definitely true to themselves in the little bits of interaction they have where they're not just fighting and throwing things around and making stupid jokes that don't balance the tone. Yeah, they are totally true to who they are. And that's why, if anything, the Guardians actually make more sense because they've always been kind of flippant in their whole, like, interaction with each other anyway. Mm -hmm. So they're the least jarring in kind of how they do. But some of the other stuff just doesn't – I don't know. Mm. It's actually like Taika Waititi was directing little parts of Doctor Strange and Iron Man being down on Earth and, like, their little comical back and forth. It's like, wait a minute – this big bad guy's coming and you guys are like, <laughs> but they like making little jokes. Every like, single movie, Chris, every single movie has been yeah, like but that. In Even every Civil War, Civil War, you had, uh, you had Bucky and Falcon doing the same kind of bantering right in the middle of a giant fight of all the superheroes where there's stakes involved. It's been that way every film and that's been part of the thing. I guess I've just, it's just worn, you know, I'm, maybe I'm it's just worn thin it. for it's you. Worn thin. Yeah. It's a, this, there's nothing different in the style and tone. I don't feel in this film than there has been in the past 10 years. The difference is everything got jammed into one movie. And some people don't like that overblown Bloated. amount of stuff going on yeah. with very little character development further. But my feeling is we've been developing these characters for 10 years. I don't really need any more development for two hours. Just show me a bunch of cool stuff them doing and set up a really what could be very interesting next movie or could be a huge letdown. I don't know. But anyway, um, it's a different type of movie. And I think that's the thing. Here's the thing I will say just for those that are listening to this, trying to decide if this is a movie they even want to go spend their money on at this point. If you like the other ones, go see it. Yeah. I mean, that's... Well, all right. So my parents... It's that easy. My parents, I made no recommendation to them that they should go see this movie. I didn't mention it. It hasn't come up in conversations, but I get a text after opening weekend. We just went to go see Avengers Mm -hmm. and we really had a good time with it. And I'm just like, but you've never seen like hardly any of the other movies. I don't think you don't know anything about these characters. This seems like the completely type of opposite movie. Well, that they're not enjoy. burned out on superhero movies. There's possibly that, or it's just, they just went in and just had a good time with it. So, you know, I think there's some, some, some balance either way. If you go in looking for a good film, no, it's not a film by the typical traditional, uh, you know, let's, let's really see the best acting. Let's see some great direction. Let's see some great character development. No, it doesn't, it doesn't care about that. It's, Let's get to the action. Let's get to the fun. Let's get these characters together we haven't seen together ever before. And let's do something that, you know, might entertain people. It was all that. Let's get a bunch of characters together in a movie and be applauded for that. And I'm like, no, I I need more than that. Because the story was non-existent and there was nothing else there. Other than the fact they did do a semi-decent job of having so many people in one movie. Outside Mm -hmm. of that, for me. Fair enough. Agree to disagree, and that's yeah. perfectly fine. Uh, so we really didn't talk any specifics, but that's actually okay because well, I don't think I we really like, need to. Yeah. We kind of, you know, covered the broad swath of the film. So those of you who have seen the movie, who listen to this, you know, you understand how we feel, and I think you know what we're alluding to. <laughs> and so I, I don't think you know. And for those of you who haven't, good, go see it. I'll, I'll, I'll put it this way: 
I, even though I have no desire to go, no, I mean, if the movie's on again and it's in front of me at some point, I'll watch some of it again. It's no, no it's not like I, I don't want to watch it again. It's just, I don't have a desire to go out and see it in a whole nother ticketed theater environment again. However, if I could go back in just the two or three minutes, hearing the gasp in the audience, which were true. <laughs> and again, this is all about theater experience. I mean, this is why I love going to a movie theater because you can't get that watching it at home on your TV. But People going through this experience and then the number of people that were sitting in their chairs when the credits were rolling, talking about the film and what this means and what's going on and what's going to happen. Some people thinking, oh, my gosh, this is horrible. Some saying, oh, well, you know, I I know what's going to happen next because of this. All that stuff. I wouldn't trade that for the world. That's what I want a theater experience to be. So I say kudos to the film for generating a really, in many cases, an energetic film going experience even if the film didn't work for everybody. So that's, that's my piece. Do you have anything else closing? To Absolutely not. <laughs> All right. Good deal. Well, let's go ahead and wrap that up then. So Avengers Infinity War will probably be in theaters until next April. Uh, probably. The way it's going right now. <laughs> so you should have easy time seeing it. I don't, I can't imagine anybody living in a place where you can't drive more than 15, 20 minutes and see this film right now. So <laughs> uh, I think if you want to go see it, it's more than available for you right now. All right. We're going to move on to our second review, which is the latest from director Wes Anderson, writer and director Wes Anderson. It is his latest stop motion animation film, Isle of Dogs. The Japanese archipelago, 20 years in the future. Canine saturation has reached epidemic proportions. An outbreak of dog flu rips through the city of Megasaki. Mayor Kobayashi issues emergency orders, calling for a hasty quarantine. Trash Island becomes an exiled colony. The Isle of Dogs. The storyline of Wes Anderson's new film, Isle of Dogs, is as the following states. An outbreak of dog flu has spread through the city of Megasaki, Japan. Yes, not a real city. And Mayor Kobayashi has demanded all dogs be sent to Trash Island. On the island, there ends up being a young boy, Atari, who has gone to rescue his lost dog who was sent there called Spots. Alan, just the plot line description there. Does this set this film apart enough from his previous stop motion film, Fantastic Mr. Fox in your mind. And is this film set apart enough from other Wes Anderson films that you feel like this film is worth seeing that it's Mm -hmm. important in Mr. Anderson's career? Because a lot of times he gets kind of lambasted for making the same movie over and over again, just with different titles, slightly different costumes. So two-part question do you feel like this was different enough from fantastic mr fox and mm-hmm. different enough from the other films in his filmography to be worth seeing um, different enough in that not that he can't have similar style or similar right. thing, but just you know different enough well you know i actually remember you and i had a conversation i think it was after moonrise kingdom came out mm. not his last film but the film before his Correct. last film sure and i think we reviewed it and we both liked it but i think i even distinctly remember me saying I want him to do something different. I'm getting a little concerned that he is just playing with the same tropes, the same cinematic style, same genre type. And it's just, I want something different. Mm-hmm. Now, Fantastic Mr. Fox came out before Moonrise Kingdom. Right. And I did refer to that as something a little different. Mm-hmm. It was a little more youth oriented. It was obviously the stop motion animation was very different. So, um, and then he did Budapest, Grand Budapest, Grand Budapest which, which Still carrying on the same Wes Anderson style, 
but I really liked it. I okay. mean, it just I kind of felt like he was hitting a peak, like in his style. Okay. It wasn't my. It's not my favorite Wes Anderson film, but I think it's the most Wes Anderson film he's done <laughs> as far as like he's at the peak of his style with that film. Gotcha. So with this one, um, I think it is different enough to be a unique film in his filmography without straying too far away from it being a Wes Anderson film. Okay. There are elements here, uh, especially away from Fantastic Mr. Fox. This is definitely a more more adult-skewing film, although I still think it's okay for younger audiences. But uh, you know, it does deal with some heavier themes you mentioned before about this outbreak of a disease and a flu. There's contamination. Dogs are being like sent off to remote island, and it's a little traumatic to think about that. Um, there are some moments of the film that are a little more, a little more intense and a little more, you know, heavy to, to kind of take on. The fact that it's set slightly in the future, so there is a sci-fi element to it. There actually are some robot dogs. Care, robot dogs. Yeah. There are characters that are very uh, science, uh, science fiction-y that that's very different for Wes Anderson. I've never seen him do anything that moves us forward in time and uses technology quite to the same way. Okay. Um, but at its heart, it's still a Wes Anderson film. The characters talk to each other like they're in a Wes Anderson film. Yeah. The dialogue, the, is, the dialogue is still Anderson. very Wes Anderson. The shot selection, even with stop motion animation, is still framing of shots and the, the, the way he wants to arrange things on the, on the screen. Very, very much still Wes Anderson. So this is enough for me of a step away from his comfort zone to be, I think, a really interesting film in his, his, his list of films. But it's still a Wes Anderson film. Sure. But... Um, I did thoroughly enjoy this film. I really, really thought it worked for me, um, both in the story, in the humor, in the themes it was going after, and just the animation itself to me is absolutely amazing. Um, I've got a lot of positives. I do have a couple quibbles. I'll I'll mention a little bit later on some things I I don't think worked as well. But overall, in general, I think the film was really great. I had such a good time with it. Chris, how how did you feel about it? Because you and I both saw it just in the last night or two at the same time. So the previous film, you and I were on complete opposite ends of the spectrum. So with this film, what I'm going to do is try to outdo you in being a fanboy of this film. Oh, you're going to, this is your fanboy film. <laughs> I'm going to so. out. I'm going to out fanboy you on this film. I'm going well, to I'm, make I'm, myself like it more than you do. <laughs> well, I I can't really shame you for your preferences <laughs> and your past history with the story type and all that. So unfortunately, we're not going to be even over the two reviews because sure. I'm very very positive. Yeah, on this yeah, I. I really liked this film. Um, I will say, you know, you talk about the departures from the film. That's what, for me, were the big surprises. Mm -hmm. I mean, going in, I knew it would be a good film. I knew I would probably like it. I knew the shots were going to be interesting. I knew, you know, the character voices were all going to be people from his other movies, and they were going to have funny lines. And all that I expected, delivered, was good. What surprised me was that it was a little darker mm-hmm. than I thought it would be. Definitely darker than Fantastic Mr. Fox. Absolutely. Yeah. And going in, you know, you're like, okay, dog flu. Okay, you know, that's that, I was like, well, that's just a plot device to get the dogs here so they can have this adventure to find the dog. Well, there was a lot more to it than that. There was some political overtones. A character gets assassinated mm-hmm. at one point. Yeah. Um, there are also some characters that, enter an incinerator or compactor kind of (laughs) abruptly. And you're like, Oh dear, you know? (laughs) Um, so it just, 
the humor was darker. And like you're saying, this is definitely still, I guess you could call it a kid's movie, but it's more an older kid's movie. You, know, you yeah. can see it's rated PG-13. And I guess in the sense of like comic book movies, sometimes you'd be surprised because you'd be like, oh, well, you know, it just, I don't know. It, it's definitely more adult. And I yeah. wasn't expecting it to be as adult as it was compared to Fantastic Mr. Fox. I thought it would just yeah. be, dogs instead of foxes and other than that, you know, story taking place in a made up place in Japan. And other than that, it would be, you know, pretty similar, but no, it was really different. Um, and also challenging in the fact that they throw up a disclaimer in one of the early shots of the film that basically says, uh, when you hear Japanese people, they're not going to be subtitled unless, you know, they they do give some like, you know, some there are a few moments of subtitles, very, yeah. very few. But they use some really creative ways of helping you understand what they're saying in Japanese without feeling the need to just put text up on the screen for you to read it. Right. So yeah. just because someone's speaking Japanese doesn't mean you hear it. But if somebody is giving like a live television broadcast, then you have like a translator standing over the side that's kind of translating it. So you get somebody kind of voicing over what's happening there. That's kind of the the way they do it, which, you know, it's just really interesting not pandering to the audience and actually choosing Instead of like what an easier version would have been in like a G movie, it's just everybody speak English. Right. You know, well, they, don't, they don't do that. Well, yeah. he definitely wasn't going to have everybody just speak English. I right. think that was pretty much Wes Anderson. Seems, I feel like very reverent of the Japanese culture in the film. Uh, that's not what he wanted to do. Right. Now, I also think here's a little bit of my theory. I think, you know, the idea of subtitles is that every time a subtitle comes up on the screen, your eyes have to leave the frame to visit the text. True. And I don't. I don't think he wanted you to do that. I think that so much care and attention is put into what's in the frame, every visual, hmm. that for your eyes to even have to dart down and read something is just kind of offensive to all the work that's going on on the screen. Okay. So in other words, let's have them not have to read anything as much as possible. And that way we'll use translators. We'll use devices that translate for them and all that. Hmm. So that way everybody can just stay visually focused on the film. I would not be surprised if that was some part of a discussion I can with, see that. with Wes Anderson in general, because the animators that made this film, I mean, this is just an amazing feat that they oh, pulled off on absolutely. the animation here. Uh, the idea of even looking away from it for a second was just not even an option for well, me. And so. The other device that they use is that the humans in the film, with the exception of a foreign exchange student, they're all speaking Japanese. Sometimes it's translated. Sometimes it's not the dogs all speak English. Right. So, and they're kind of, you know, the driving force behind a lot of the narrative. So interesting decision in that too. So like, you know, well, I guess it's the idea that we don't really know what dog language what dogs would sound like. So sure. might as well go ahead and make it English and make it easy for everybody to follow and understand. Sure. But I do like the fact that they didn't go the route of having it to where the dogs and the humans could understand each other or anything. I mean, the dogs, would hear people talk Japanese is like, yeah, I wish I knew what was, they were saying, <laughs> you know? So right. it's a, uh, it was, it was clever the way they used language and helped us follow the story using some really kind of interesting creative devices to do so. There were also, you mentioned how the detail that the animators were able to communicate. Mm -hmm. um, and it is just, you can see why theoretically, I guess Budapest came out in 2014, this is 2018. So you can tell, I guess you can imagine where those four years were spent coming up with the story, the detail, building the sets, build, getting the characters made so they could animate them, just how time intensive all of this must have been. And I, I think it pays off because the amount of detail is just 
crazy. Even in just the individual dogs, they all look very distinct. There's no like, you know, all the dogs look different. And then there's some scenes that I think won't get into like, I guess, spoilers or whatever, but just some scenes that the detail they put into them, there's a sequence of making sushi, Mm -hmm. which my wife actually caught afterwards. I didn't even catch this, but afterwards she said, yeah, in the credits, somebody was credited with being the sushi sequence supervisor. (laughs) So they actually had somebody that like, that was their job to oversee this stop motion sequence of somebody making some pieces of sushi, like chopping up the fish and all these things. And it looked like you were watching a documentary on how to chop up and make sushi, you know, Mm -hmm. but it was, it's been a good two minutes probably on that sequence just and really there wasn't you know one to two minutes and and really there wasn't a reason to have it there other than let's really let you kind of explore the japanese culture for a few minutes and kind of show you the care and delicateness that people were putting in some of these things i think too like it's well we had the same thing with a sumo wrestling event there again not really any reason for it to be there no but they did it uh there's uh, the drummers and the opening and closing credits, which are amazing. My um, son's favorite part of the movie, he yeah. said, was the drummers. drummers yeah. He loved and the again, drummers. It's just re- it, none of that advanced the story at all. No. It's just this is Japanese culture. And I really felt like Wes Anderson saying, look, let's explore this a little bit. Let's check out like some of this. I want to do a really cool stop motion animation sumo wrestling scene. Mm-hmm. And I want it to be as authentic as possible. And sure. I think he pulled it off. So it was That'd really cool. Yeah. Um, another sequence that... I guess you could say maybe earned it a little bit more of its PG 13 rating mm-hmm. and they didn't have to do it, but I think it was Anderson saying, I'm going to do something in stop motion that people would never expect. <laughs> and it was the surgery yeah. sequence. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I was just like, Whoa. And it, not that, I mean, you knew it wasn't real, but you could convince yourself that some of the stuff that was going on was real. The cutting open of, you know, cavities to go in and get organs mm-hmm. and do stuff. You're like, Whoa, it was just it was really, it was both really crazy. interesting to watch. It was also funny because it's right. just like, okay, yeah, here we are. They're going to do a, 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 a transplant of an organ. And it's just like, doo, 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 doo. you know, it's like, it's done in like 30 seconds. Right. Like, oh, here we are. We're all done. So right. it, it was funny as well as being, I don't want to say disturbing, but it was just a little jarring to be sure. like, oh, whoa, hey, we're, we're watching it right now. It was so, definitely yeah. something you could say, not only have I never seen sushi preparation yeah. seemingly very accurate in stop motion, now I get a surgery sequence that, other than the fact it was really tidy and really fast, you're just like, well, I've never seen that before. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, it was just so, so much to admire in this film that I really, I can't really think of any, any negatives. Um I have I have a I have a a little concern. Well, something that was just disappointing to me oh. by the end of the film. Okay, uh, everything worked for me great. Okay, um, my only concern there are, are uh, four characters we follow uh, early in the film for a group of four dogs. Mm-hmm. Uh, we come to find out over time they're not the lead character, which is kind of surprising. You know, you you're kind of led to believe that maybe they're going to be the leads that we're following, and really we don't. Right. There's a fifth dog that becomes a little more critical to the to the plot, but the four of them great camaraderie. This is Edward Norton, Bob Balaban, Bill Murray, and uh, Jeff Goldblum. Goldblum. Love their interaction. I love their dialogue. I love the little semblance of a society that they've created Mm -hmm. within themselves. My only issue with the film is they're gone halfway through the film and they don't really ever come back. I mean, Mm. which is, was disappointing because there is a big, you know, the plot build to a point and I felt like they were going to play a more critical role and they really didn't. And you granted, 
not that I'm faulting the way the film ended and the focus that it did have. Sure. But we really lost, some, I think, some great characters about maybe two-thirds of the way through the film. And they were really gone. I mean, even at the end of the film, I'm like, okay, that was it. That was all we got from those guys. So that was a disappointment to me because you, you set up such great dialogue, such great characters. I wanted to, like, follow them more. And we just lost them. Um, that's probably my only real complaint of the film. Um Otherwise, you know, I love the way it ended. I love the way uh, it kind of wrapped things up the way it did. I think it uh, had a right mix of humor and as well as some very tender moments. There was one moment in the film. uh, Theater got a little dusty to use that phrase. Yes, Um, there was definitely some moments. One, maybe two, but definitely one about midway through the film uh, between Atari and one of the dogs. And it got me. And then there was a scene towards the end that it was also kind of a little bit of a nice little uh, emotional scene, too. But it wasn't overdone. It didn't get schmaltzy. It didn't get overly cheesy. It was just, you know, played it authentically. And I thought it worked. Um, So, yeah, no, I love the film. I thought it was great. I've I seen get, it two and a half times now, so I'm, so right. I'm, I'm, I guess, I'm enjoying it. I've only seen it once. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I think I do admire the fact that there were some sentimental moments that didn't go over the top. Yeah. I felt like they were earned. Um, I guess if I had to pick out a negative, and I can't go into spoiler territory, I guess, but there's some times where I feel like unnecessarily they make you think they make you think certain characters have perished mm-hmm, i guess mm-hmm. and it happens more than more than once um and i guess it was like purposely putting you on an emotional roller coaster and then like jerking you back where i don't know i guess more of an adult movie maybe you expect that more than they wouldn't toy with like a kid's emotions as much as much mm-hmm. but you no know, i guess i was kind of surprised at that but didn't detract from the overall story i i like you i'm i'm pretty I'm pretty high on this movie. Yeah, it's great. Um, Where do you put it in the Wes Anderson oeuvre at this point? I mean, if you had to, you know, you don't have to give me an exact listing, but maybe just tell me like what is a better than or what is not as good as. I need to do a Wes Anderson ranking, see where things fall. Just, I, it's definitely in like maybe the top three. Um, And because it's my most recent scene and seems like it's the freshest, Maybe it's my favorite. Wow. Um, I don't know. I would need to. I need to see Grand Budapest again. Um, yeah, I, I admit Grand Budapest is one that I was really impressed with when I saw it. I haven't gone back and revisited, right. and I'd like to. Um, this one, um, it's up there with Rushmore. Right. It's up there with um, well, Royal Tenenbaums is still a favorite. I, I, mm. I can't. Nothing is dethroning the Royal Tenenbaums okay. for me yet. Fair enough. But I think it's probably as good as Rushmore and probably beat out just about every other Wes Anderson film I can hmm. think of. So I'm, okay. it's top two to three for me as well. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a fun, but also a thoughtful time at the movies. Well, and that's and, kind know, of a surprise too. Like I, I mentioned originally, you know, the, the seriousness of it, but also because I was coming off thinking it was going to be a fantastic Mr. Fox vibe. I thought it was going to be funnier. Not that there wasn't funny stuff in it, but yeah. because it did have a lot more serious elements in it, that kind of muted some of the things that I probably would have laughed harder at just because it has a little bit more. It didn't have as much it. laugh out loud funny. Right. It actually, the humor was a little more chuckling humor and it's more throwaway little kind of a side moments and lines that were more funny. Um, you know, I think the expressions of the dogs, the way the dogs mannerisms were as they were talking and interacting with one another was probably the funniest part of the film. It did become less funny in the last half of the film, but it also, 
it still worked. I mean, yeah. it was a good balance for me. And, and again, that's, that's all that is is just going with preconceived notions that you know we should we should never really do with a film. So no, um, if this episode has taught us anything, so, <laughs> no preconceived notions on any preconceptions films. are bad. Yes, yeah. So Isle of Dogs, yes, we are both extremely high on the film. Uh, I think uh, I would go watch it again if it was unavailable in the next couple of days. Um, and it's playing in some select cities. I think it widened out a little bit recently. So I'm not really sure exactly what the release schedule is as far as if it's going to be available everywhere in the United States as, as easily. But definitely by the time it's made available and you can watch it whenever it's uh, online or anything like that, no matter what, it's definitely worth checking out. We definitely recommend it. Alan, closing yeah. out, Yeah. do you see any way that this can't be at least nominated for Best Animated It's got film to be. It has to be. Well, we didn't even really explore the animation much. I'll just say this as, as my answer to your comment there. Absolutely. And, and the reason is not just because it's a stop motion animation. They actually blended, I think, three different types of oh art goodness. and animation in the film. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Let, me, let me point that out. Because, yeah, yeah there, you definitely. There's some use of like, you know, like we mentioned sometimes the prime minister or the mayor or whatever. He's being televised. Mm-hmm. That was one of my daughter's favorite parts was whenever they showed television footage. Yeah. I am hoping, I don't know for sure, but I'm hoping what it was instead of just like video of the stop motion, it looked to be authentic drawn animation. It was 2D cell drawn animation. Right. Not not computer animated animation, but it was animation. So it had that was, a, that was I, amazing. Watching it the second time, I paid attention to that more. No, it absolutely so is. So it was like animation 2D. that would be done by you know yeah. animators back in the 40s and mm-hmm. 50s. They used that instead of television or video Anything footage. on a video screen, television, yeah. monitor, whatever, was, was hand-drawn. So And then cool. you actually had some moments of some real Japanese style art right you know on walls and canvases as they were setting up the story and they were animating some of those parts so you really had three different styles of art and animation in there and it all blended together wonderfully Um, so you say no no way it's not going to be no way it it has to be nominated if it was not nominated for best animated film riot people i'm telling you riot (laughs) (laughs) take to the streets whatever it is this is no it's i know it's early in the year and normally the animated films come out late but this has got to be in that mix of and five. I, I am sure the Incredibles two is going to make as much money as the Avengers infinity war. <laughs> Maybe. Um, mm. although that made a lot of money, mm. but I sure hope no matter how good that film is, it's got its work cut out in my mind, at least mm. to beat Isle of dogs for best animated. Cause it's just, that movie was so amazing. Well, the Incredibles could be so. the CGI main entry, you know, the Pixar type right. film that, that right. goes and normally gets nominated for best animated film. So, but this is, I mean, if you're going to get into five, it's in the five. Sure. There's okay. no way it's not in the five. <laughs> Mark our words. And we that's will right. talk to you again next February or so, whenever they announce them. Okay. All right. So that's our two films. I, Alan am saying, <laughs> Go see Avengers Infinity War if you want a just a good, fun time and you're into the comic book movie and you're not burnt out on it yet. Chris is saying, eh. Skip don't it. Don't skip it. Unless you don't have air conditioning and you want to like have two and a half hours of air conditioning. Then and then Chris and I are saying absolutely, definitely go see Isle of Dogs. Okay. I will say, Isle of Dogs, better than Avengers Infinity War. <laughs> so go see Infin- Isle of Dogs if you have the choice between the two. But I do think Avengers is fun. So anyway. All right. With that, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we will do some news items we have to uh, to share with you and kind of get some feedback from one another. And then we'll end the episode with our recommendations. So stay tuned. You're listening to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.TV. 
Local authors, illustrators, and storytellers come together to create Storytime Station at The Mesh. Storytime Station is a video podcast that works as a virtual storybook. Each show features a new children's book and new reader. So gather the whole family to listen, learn, and laugh at Storytime Station on TheMesh.TV. Welcome back to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.TV. I'm Alan, and with me is Chris. We just finished our argument slash discussion about Avengers Infinity <laughs> War and our universal praise for the film Isle of Dogs earlier in the episode. Uh, before we move on to our news and our recommendation, I just wanted to remind everybody listening that you are listening to The Mesh. Uh, this is a podcast. Uh, many people ask, what is a podcast? What does that mean? Well, A, you're listening to one right now. B, what makes it a little different than a typical just audio or video program is that you have the ability to subscribe to the show. We put out episodes throughout the year. If you go onto Apple's iTunes and their podcast store, part of the application, or if you go use Google Play, I believe has a podcast service. Uh, even Stitcher Radio uh, has the podcast as well. You can find the podcast and you have the option to subscribe to it. Subscribing means that every time we put out a new episode, it's going to be delivered. Almost like postal mail to your mailbox. But the great thing is you don't even have to walk all the way to your post mailbox to get it. We make have, it easy. We make it so easy. <laughs> if it's on your phone, if it's on your iPad, if it's on your computer, wherever it may be. The episode gets downloaded to whatever you're using to listen to podcast. So we encourage you to go to themesh.tv. That is with a T-H-E at the beginning. T-H-E-M-E-S-H.tv to go see all the shows on the Mesh Network that we have available. They're all free. You can download them on the website or listen to them on the website. You can subscribe to them with the buttons we provide throughout the site as well. So we encourage you to check it out and let us know if you have any questions. Uh, we're big believers in podcasting. We think it's a great medium to get our messages out and our content out. So uh, we'll give you some opportunities at the end of the show. If you have some comments or questions, we'd love to hear from you. All right, Chris, let's move into a couple of movie news items. Okay. And uh, the first one I'm going to bring up of my two, and I know you've got one to share as well, yes. uh, is one that it's almost just this is yet the next chapter in this ongoing discussion about this film. Okay. I think we've probably talked about this film at least four times in the past couple of years. Okay. The fact that we're still talking about it and I have more news to share with you just keeps extending this drama going on. Okay. Terry Gilliam, former oh, no. member <laughs> involvement with Monty Python yes. and, and flying circus. Sure. Uh, has been a director and writer for many years since then. Yeah. Brazil, 12 monkeys, Fisher King. Yeah. Fisher King is one of my all time favorites. Okay. Um, I, I, you know, I like the guy quite a bit. Uh, 12 monkeys. I thought was really good. I, yeah. He's had a good filmography so far. Sure. The man who killed Don Quixote has been a film in production for years to the point where back in 2002, Chris, 2002, 16 years ago, is when they made the documentary right. about the fact that the film was not made yet and still under production. <laughs> so it's been 16 years Lost since the documentary. Lost in La Mancha. Right. That's back when um, uh, Depp. Johnny Depp was signed on to play the lead. Right. And that's way gone by now. That was a documentary about how this tortured production has taken so long to get this movie made. That was 16 years ago. Wow. And he finished it. He finally finished it. A trailer came out. Which that was the last time. See, I didn't. Last time we talked. I didn't look at the trailer, but um, because I was trying to 
I was trying to not do that, but um, I did hear you talk. Yeah, we announced on well, the show. Chris, the trailer may be the only thing you're going to be able to watch for a while. Oh, no. Okay, so here's the deal. Here's the latest news, and this is as of just a few days ago. Okay. Amazon, uh, who was going to be one of the distributors of the film. Okay, the Amazon Studios and all that stuff. Uh, was going to. Okay. But they have now pulled out of distributing the film. What was the reason? Uh, there's an ongoing legal dispute dispute over its ownership. So a court decision is going to be made this coming Wednesday. Yeah, so it's not, rec- it's not a statement on the quality of the film. It's no legality. It's over- legality. And also the fact that a court decision is going to be made, whether it can be even be screened at the Cannes Film Festival. See, that's what I'd heard too. that it, I'd heard that it was going to be screened at the festival. Then I heard it wasn't going to be, but the latest I heard that it said, no, the closing night, they are going to let it screen, but maybe that's yeah, still, no, up in it's the still up in the air right now. Wow. I, 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 as of the time of me reading the news here. Okay. Now, if you've read something in just the last day or so, that's more current, I don't know, but hmm. that's basically, you know, there's legal dispute over who owns the film right now. Okay. Okay. Um, so just a little background here. You know, this is a film that was started shooting in 1998. Mm. So that's 20 years ago. Yeah. Um, it had Johnny Depp playing a marketing executive who was sent back in time. It stopped after uh, Rochefort, Jean Rochefort, who was starring as Don Quixote, uh, became ill. And then the film just got riddled with financial difficulties, insurance problems, and so on. We had the 2002 documentary about the making of the film and right. how tortured the production was. Then he kept trying to get it started back. We had Robert Duvall attached. We had Michael Palin attached at one point, John Hurt, Ewan McGregor, Jack O'Connell, all of them like in and out of the film at different phases. Wow. So we have a completed film now. Adam Driver. Right. Jonathan Price and right. Stellan Skarsgård. Okay. Amazon signed on to distribute the film back in 2015. So they've oh. been on board for a while saying okay. we're going to yeah, distribute the yeah. film. However, they're saying now that uh, – uh, the person who approved the deal at Amazon was ousted last year. Oh, so now they're re-examining all the films that they're making, and now there's this legal issue uh, between Terry Gilliam and the film's former producer Paula Blanco. So yes, it's become complicated once again. So this production is just cursed. Cursed, absolutely. I, I cursed. think the last thing, actually, now that you mentioned that, the last thing I remember seeing was. I'd seen the article where, or seen something that said, it's not going to be able to premiere at Cannes. Something happened. And then they said, no, something got worked out. They are going to let it be the closing night film at Cannes. And the person that I saw on Twitter said, yes. And I wouldn't go in that theater for all the money in the world because I think it'll probably catch on fire because it's just like this movie is not meant to happen. So who knows? I guess we'll find out when the closing night happens, if they actually finally did let it screen or not. But, um, Um, that's crazy. Well, if I can add one more element that this is, this is sad, but maybe uh, Netflix will just buy it just to make Cam mad and then everything will be fine. <laughs> well, to add even a little more drama to it and, and to keep piling on the cursing, unfortunately, uh, Terry Gilliam, uh, has also recently had bad, bad health issues. Oh, really? He actually had a minor stroke oh over the gosh. weekend before this article came out. Oh so my gosh. as this was all going on and they're prepping to try to get it to can, uh, he had a stroke. So, <sighs> I mean, wow. what more at this point can go wrong? You have a 20-year production film that's even struggling now to find out where it's going to be distributed and screened. So, yeah. So you may want to watch the trailer because, again, that may be your only taste of this well, film for quite I a, think, quite a while. Know, I think I will. Because yeah. <laughs> I think it needs all the support it can get right now <laughs> to just get out there. So anyway, 
The Man Who Killed Don Quixote. Do you know, is the trailer still, can you still find it? Or have I'm they sure taken you can. that offline? No, I'm sure you can. Okay. I'm sure you can still see the trailer. Hmm. I watched the trailer. And I thought it looked interesting. looked fun. Okay. So, uh, hmm. you know, at this point, it doesn't need to be a beautiful film. It doesn't have to be a, the most glorious film. It just needs to be released <laughs> and have people watch it for an hour and a half and be somewhat in, engaged did, and entertained Did you, this is kind of a sideline, I don't know if we've ever mentioned it on the show before, but did you ever see the Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus? No, I never did. Which was a film of Mr. Gilliam's maybe two films ago, but that one was riddled with all sorts of production mm-hmm. problems. And a lot of it had to do with the fact that Heath Ledger was a star yeah. in it and he passed away, but they continued making it, having his character kind of become other people. And then they had Jude Law, I think, do yeah, one of Jude the Yeah, Jude Law did one and... Uh... There are two or three other actors who played Colin the parts. Farrell, maybe? I can't remember. Yeah, I don't remember. I, I, but again, I haven't seen the film. That had a lot of potential, but it ended up eh, kind of being a mess because yeah. of it. So I hope somehow <laughs> this thing can survive and rise from the ashes and finally see the light of day. My, my hope and salvation for the film is Adam Driver. I think Adam yeah. Driver's really good. Yeah, I, I think agree. he makes good choices in his films. So I think I, you would hope that, and I like Terry Gilliam, but you'd hope Adam Driver, yeah, he makes such good choices that if he saw this and was like, you know what, that ain't never going <laughs> to happen. This is a steaming pile <laughs> right. of just mass. I'm, I'm not just touching gonna steer it. Clear. Yeah, that you're right. That does I, give. I me think hope. the fact that he signed on and finished the film and uh, that that speaks a lot to me. If it was some other lesser actor that I wasn't really impressed with, I'd be more concerned yeah and so Jonathan we'll Price is the Don Quixote yeah. like I can He's totally too. see that too. oh absolutely he was a good good so. casting for that so yeah so yeah so we'll stay tuned I'm sure we'll be talking about this film again in the next few episodes probably hopefully with better better answers for you so Chris what have you got to share with us well speaking of a film that uh-huh. we've touched on at least once twice three times mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um We've talked about this film, but especially now I have a title. Tarantino's okay. next movie ah. is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. That's this is the, the title. Okay. Oh, and it's that changing. was that was kind of the trepidation yeah. that I had and I think almost everybody else in the world had. They're like, Oh my goodness. Tarantino, who's known for kind of gratuitous violence and not you know, maybe not being serious with how he depicts violence and you know, mm. maybe not being very He's not known for wor- being worried about breaking a few eggs to make an omelet. No, sure. it doesn't walk on eggshells. Okay. So, yes, it is still taking place in California around Hollywood during the time that Manson was kind of rising to power. But okay. apparently, with some new casting that they've discussed, it seems like maybe it's kind of like that is an element that is going on in the background. And maybe this is more of kind of a... Pulp Fiction, different threads of things happening all at the same time, and that's what this movie is going to be. It's just that's more of the backdrop is what's going on in the news at that time. Correct. Okay. Because some of the casting choices they've just recently announced, Burt Reynolds is going has just been cast, and interestingly enough, he's been cast as an eighty-year-old man who rented his big ranch out to Charles Manson. And that, all right, so I'm really the, curious about. And at the time, Charles, this all happened. He re, like, Burt Reynolds is 80 years old now, so it's like you know he's actually playing somebody who's his exact age, kind of a you know odd person. So that that's interesting. Margot Robbie has been cast as Sharon Tate, hmm, who is the yeah. person that Manson ends sure. up killing, right. or you know the his followers do. Um. So, but what's also been revealed kind of in like how this may, this film may come together and kind of its focus 
is that Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio are maybe, there again, you know, it's all speculation, maybe more of the stars of the film. And it centers around, they play two kind of washed up actors who mm-hmm. used to be very popular in Westerns. Mm-hmm. And like, but now kind of like, you know, Westerns aren't cool to make anymore and they're still living out in Hollywood. And it's kind of like, well, what do we do now? Meanwhile, their next door neighbor, Sharon Tate, you know, is, you know, doing well. So it's kind of like, it may be a series of threads that are all weaving together to tell the story, not really focusing on the actual Manson and the Manson And I could see that. I know some people are all a little concerned when they heard it being a a story about Manson. Right. I I think every single Tarantino film that's been announced. People worry. Well, there's just, there's always a topic or a theme that you hear and everybody's like, Oh, okay. So it's going to be that kind of film. It never is that kind of film. Cause Django right. Unchained, I remember hearing about that and I was like, yeah. Oh, but actually I liked it. You know? Yeah. Django Unchained was played a lot more as a cowboy movie, almost it like did. a, but it really was a movie about slavery. And it was, right. a, so again, I think he, he's always playing with, uh, you know, Tarantino is the kind of guy I think who just gets in an interview talking to people about a film. He's like, Oh yeah, I'm going to make a film about this. And then people just run with that and say, oh, it's going to be a Charles Manson film. Sure. No, he just he, he's thinking about Charles Manson, thought I want to do something in that time period with some of the people that were involved in that. Right. But I got a whole other idea. And uh, I, I trust the guy. I'm not a, the biggest fan of The Hateful Eight. I thought that was a real disappointment. Hateful letdown. Eight was a letdown. It was a letdown. Well. And I, uh, and I liked Inglorious Bastards. I was really good on that. One of my top ten. Uh, right. You know, We're hitting directors right now that have all – Put a film in my top ten so far. So, <laughs> okay. Glorious Bastards, Fisher King, all up there. Sure. Um, but um, so you know, I'm still, I'm, I'm definitely still more pro Tarantino, even though one or two of his films more recently haven't always worked for me. But um, in Glorious Bastards and Django Unchained, I really both uh, enjoyed both of those. Well, what's interesting to me too is I don't believe I guess they're getting close to starting filming, or maybe they've already done some. But supposedly we will know how this film turns out because it has a August 2019 release. Mm, okay. So in a little yeah. over a year, year and a half yeah. or so, we'll know. We will know. All and right. because it's an August release, it looks like, you know, maybe he's going to be trying to do Oscars. So Could be. I mean, that's we'll typically see. the time you try to shoot for on that. So Right. All right. Well, my last news item, it, not a whole lot to say on this. I just thought very interesting. Okay. So as we talk about um can film festival mm-hmm. and uh you know some of the uh, it started so some of the movies some of the reviews are starting to come in from people who are seeing the films sure um the first full day of the can film festival there was a movie that showed that has the honor of being touted as the longest movie in the history of can film festival oh really it's a documentary and it was eight hours long oh my goodness it was uh, by Chinese director Wang Bing, uh, the longest film ever watched. That this particular person who saw it ever watched at a festival, and I do believe it's been touted as saying it's the eight last hours. one it can. Yeah, eight hours. Showed the whole day. So, um, longest yeah. official selection in Cannes history. Now, so the um, O.J. Simpson Made in America, mm-hmm. which won Best Documentary, I guess, mm-hmm. two years ago. Yeah. I guess it wasn't. It was long, but maybe not. Or it didn't show it can. It didn't show it. It started out as a TV series that they just kind of then put, well, they, they released it in installments on TV and then right. kind of stitched it together to make one big long And then film. did festival circuit. This film supposedly is not really broken into like episodic or whatever. Oh. It's truly like one long documentary for eight hours exploring. Uh, yeah, what is it about? <laughs> so it, it's, um, 
It's, it's talking about the anti-rightist movement in China, you know, a campaign to deal with the supposedly subversive dissent within the ranks of China's Communist Party huh. between 1957 and 1959. There was, uh, in the kind of the impact that that had, a lot of people starved to death. There was a lot of punishment, labor camps going on for re-education. So supposedly this documentary was shot over a dozen years. Really? It has a, tons of interviews so and almost survivors. As, almost as long as the Don Quixote movie. Yeah, just about. We're talking about two long productions here. Okay. Um, you know, talking to the survivors of this incident wow. back in the 50s. And then, um, <laughs> so anyway, it's like an oral history. The guy the guy who wrote a little write-up on it said it was basically like an oral history of a genocide. Just hearing people talk at length about it. You're not sure. confined to having to try to get into 90 minutes. Now. Eight hours, it's a long time. That's daunting. That's daunting. Sure that they did give people breaks. I would hope so. But at the same time, uh, if you're really going to explore a topic, I mean, you really just want to dig in and you've got a captive audience who wants to soak it in and absorb it and learn every aspect. Imagine how freeing that would be to not feel like you've got to cut and edit and, hmm. okay, we got to get it all down to like 90 minutes or 120 minutes. Yeah, it's kind of I, I can see as a director, it's probably very freeing to say, I'm going to spend the next 10 years shooting and working on this. And when I put it together, I don't want to cut all this stuff out just to make it a short film. I'm just going to let it roll <laughs> as long as I feel like it takes to really properly tell the story. Right. So right. anyway, I just thought it was interesting. Um, it's also a big risk if you spend that long and then everybody's like, oh, it's garbage. Then. That'd be a big shame true. if you spent 12 That's years true. of your life. But at least you're going down in history as the longest film ever played at Cannes. You know? Okay. Uh, for what it's worth, uh, AV Film, where I read the review about this, gave it a uh, B plus. So, okay. you know, at least for this one person saying it's worth watching. You know, it's, hmm. a, it's a good score on a, on a review there. So anyway, okay. eight hours. Wow. Yeah. And uh, so just remember that, Chris, as we're watching and screening films for our film festival coming up in September. At least I'm not trying to watch several <laughs> film or We have over 200 and so, so many submissions. Right. I just imagine if many of them were in that six to eight hour range uh, watching time, we'd have a whole different situation on our hands. So. This is true. Sure. All right, Chris, that's our news for the episode. So it sounds like we had a, a long film showing at can. We have Man Who Killed Don Quixote, a long production cycle on things. And then we've got a little more information on the latest Quentin Tarantino production that we should see hopefully next year. Hopefully. So, all right. So with that, let's move into our recommendations. So, Chris, we, we share a film that either we've caught up with recently or maybe we've been recommended, but we know is available either online or you can maybe uh, uh, rent the DVD somewhere and check it out. So with that, Chris, I'd love to know what is your recommendation for the episode? So my recommendation is a film called Nocturama. And I had heard of it because at the end of last year, when people were kind of making their best of 2017 lists, I saw it pop up a lot. And I was like, I have not heard of this film. It was a, I believe it's a French film. And I think because it was released maybe in 2016 over there, but didn't play in the States maybe until 2017. That's why it started popping up a lot on year end lists in 2017. Well, I finally caught up with it recently on Netflix, which is where I watched it. You can see it now. And um, brief, brief description, it's a group of young people in Paris, and they engineer a plan to basically spread shock and awe throughout the city. They each have a different role they play, and then after they basically set off some bombs, they meet up in a department store, kind of hole up in a department store, and kind of hide out, basically. Mm -hmm. This film is over 
two hours long. Mm -hmm. The first 40 minutes, there's, I don't, there's very, very, very little dialogue. Mm -hmm. A lot of people walking places, Mm -hmm. not a lot's going on. And you really have to be patient with this movie. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm not saying like, it's, it's, kind of a one-timer for me because the ending is very very heavy oh boy um so you know just be aware of that you know it's not it's rated r obviously for many good reasons i mean these people are these children they're not children they're teens i guess or you know maybe 15 20 maybe 20 somethings but anyways Mm. young people yeah and what's particularly devastating is you know they're kind of upset about the government upset about things and they do these actions and then the dawning of kind of what they've done and the realization of the impact that it may have on them. And it's just, it's devastating. And that's the thing is like 40 minutes in, you're like, okay, I don't really understand what's going on. Then it starts to dawn on you. And then about an hour and a half in, not that you feel sorry for them, Mm -hmm. but you're kind of sympathizing for them that maybe they just, you know, they just haven't had a lot of guidance, people that have cared about them in their life. Like you just, sure, and then right. it's like, mm-hmm. Oh, this is, this is not going anywhere. Good. Um, wow. it shot really well. The scenes in the department store with, it's a very high end department store too. So there's just like riches and wealth everywhere. And it's just, I don't know, saying a lot, you could say it's mm-hmm. heavy handed, but there's not a lot of dialogue. It just really makes you realize certain things. Um, kind Oops. of a tough sit. Yeah, sure. But the cinematography is really good. Um, I recommend it. How did you watch it again? What was it? It was on Netflix. On Netflix, and the, and okay. It's called Nocturama. So you know, if you're in for kind of an off the beaten path film that made a lot of people's top ten lists, uh, Nocturama on Netflix, and it's okay. by a director who I was not familiar with. I mean, I think he's done some other work, but Bertrand Bonello. Is his Interesting. Name, so. Okay, great. Uh, another. I tell you what, Netflix. I, I pulled up Netflix the other day. I hadn't really I turned it on in a while, and I was just flabbergasted with the number like if you watch like just released and you scroll through the bar right. how many original netflix films there are now well, on that service so yeah wow. they're they're really spilling like we've reviewed meyerwitz stories yeah. which have come out but yeah starting in 2018 some ridiculous number of original I mean, netflix original movies everything on the just released bar i think was a netflix original production <laughs> either a tv show or a film at this point so right um I've got my recommendation. I'll okay. get to it in just a second. But just talking about Netflix, I sure. will say uh, um, one I'll give a small, quick recommendation to. Okay. That's not a traditional film, so that's why I'm not really going to spend a lot of time on it. But uh, if you are a fan of stand-up comedy. Oh, I think um, I know where you're going with this. <laughs> John Mulaney, who I'm a big fan of, former writer for Saturday Night Live. He had a very short-lived sitcom on NBC for like six episodes. That It was basically could have been the next Seinfeld, but... Hmm. Imagine if Seinfeld, nobody watched Seinfeld the first six episodes and didn't get it and just they canceled it. That's kind of where I felt like it was meaning to go and just never made it. Gotcha. So he's been basically stand-up specials, but he's got uh, Kid Dynamite is his latest one, and uh, it's hilarious. It's very, very good. And um, Dynamite or Gorgeous? Oh, I'm sorry, Kid Gorgeous. Okay. Kid Dynamite's probably like a famous boxer. This is Kid Gorgeous. <laughs> okay. So, sorry, Kid Gorgeous um, at Radio City Music Hall, I believe. Um, yeah. It's a stand-up comedy special. You don't really look at it to see the cinematography or to see how it's shot. I will say this. John Bryan, who is a a, a musician that's done – he did some work for uh, Paul Thomas Anderson. I think Magnolia he did the score for and a few other films. He 
basically plays the intro music leading into the performance, which is kind of fun. He's there on stage playing, uh, playing a big pipe organ type of thing. Um, and the comedy is really, really good. It's just, it was, it's just a well-made, nice length uh, comedy special if you're into stand-up comedy. All right. But again, I don't consider that a film in our sure. film recommendation, so I'm not making that my official one. Okay. Instead, what I'm going to recommend is something a little more interesting. Um, okay. One of the things I love about our film society is that we get people talking about films and we have had people recommending films to us. Now I get a lot of recommendations saying, I'm sure you get some as well that I don't have time to watch all the recommendations, but I was actually handed a DVD of this one. And so when somebody hands me a DVD and I can look at the cover art and look at the description and say, Oh, this sounds interesting. Okay. I'm going to watch it. So I end up watching it. So the film I saw, and it I wanted to bring up as a recommendation because it ties perfectly in with Isle of Dogs. Oh. This is a Japanese film. Okay. Staying in the Japanese culture. Okay. Uh, and it's called uh, Tampopo. T-A-M-P-O-P-O. Uh, by writer and director Juzo Otami. I'm probably saying that very wrong. but um, And it does star Ken Wontabi, who okay. you know we've, we've seen some in some films. Uh, and several other Japanese actors. This is a film from 1985. Oh, wow. Yes, it's an older film. Okay. Um, I've never seen a f- movie that has focused on food so much as this film. This film, every scene in this film has to do with food. Hmm. The plot line is as follows. There's a trucker, his name is Goro, who rides into a town and uh, stops for, I don't remember the reason he stops with his friend and they hop out and they visit a little noodle shop there in uh, this little town uh, in Japan. And basically he decides to take on this family run noodle shop uh, and help it grow its business because he has a lot of experience and knowledge in noodle shops. So the (laughs) whole movie is about, Tempopo, who is the woman who runs this little noodle shop, getting advice from Goro and Goro's friend to be a better noodle shop. Okay. That's the movie. <laughs> um, but okay. what they've done with this film, which is what makes it really interesting, is that, yes, in its um, hour 50-minute running time, hmm. probably about 45 minutes of it is truly that plot that I just described. Okay. What did they do instead is, uh, a cut along the way, it will cut to... A completely unrelated scene sometimes, completely unrelated uh, uh, a sequence that's almost like a little skit about food. Hmm. So you experience all these other little skits that really have no bearing on the main storyline whatsoever. Is it it's meant to be a comedy then? It is a comedy. Okay. Although a dark comedy in some places, I will definitely really? say. Um, I'll give you some examples. So you have one skit where um, I say skit, but you know, a little five, ten minute sequence in the middle of the movie um, where you have a gangster who um, mixes food with uh, his sexual relations with his his girlfriend. Whoa. Uh, and food plays a major part in that sequence. Then you have another whole sequence where there is a woman who keeps sneaking into this grocery store shop and squeezing all of the food and fruit in the store. And the store owner is getting very frustrated by it and is constantly trying to chase her down to get her out of there. Again, <laughs> That's nothing bizarre. to do, nothing to do with the main storyline, hardly okay. at all, other than it's all tied into food. It's okay. all about the joy of food. It's all about how Did, people treat food in their, their, their daily life. Hmm. You have a lot of scenes of noodles and broth and ways of being made. 
I've never seen more food focused in a film before than this film. <laughs> did it um, make you want to go out and eat noodles? It did, although it, it also showed a lot more of the behind the scenes of making it to where it's not always the most appealing thing to see. To gotcha. try to eat. But I definitely did want some noodle soup after this. That was absolutely certain. Hmm. Um, it's funny at times. Some of the, the sequences are a little corny and just don't really work very well. Um, and there again, the main storyline is really pretty simple it's just <laughs> we're going to go visit other noodle shops and we're going to meet people that can help us make better noodles and better broth and then we're going to try to open up and make a better noodle sh- restaurant that's the film and uh <laughs> but i liked it okay. uh, not all of it worked for me but i enjoyed it mainly because it was just trying to do something different it was just a unique watch if nothing else hmm. um now i don't know where you can see it um, oh, okay. I do see that you can go on Amazon and order the DVD, which I'm sure would be very inexpensive to get. Um, but I don't think it's online anywhere, which is really? unfortunate. So that's a little bit of the caveat with my recommendations. I don't think you can just go online and search for it. Hmm. Um, so for what that's worth, Tampopo, I think very interesting film. Thank you to uh, two of our members of the Film Society for giving me a copy of it and recommending I check it out. What prompted it was us showing um, – um, um, uh, phantom thread hmm. and kind of the emphasis on food, especially in the uh, latter section of the film and the role it played hmm. made them want to come show me, have me see this film. And I'm glad they did. Cause it was a fun watch. So hmm. very interesting. Okay. All right. So that was our recommendations. Uh, we kind of dug a little deep on both we of did. those. So we, we didn't, did. didn't pick the both little mainstream, films, both foreign yeah. films, both little unique films too. Uh, so Chris's is available on Netflix. Mine, you may have to go hunt for a little bit more, but both some interesting watches if they sound at all appealing from our descriptions there. All right. So I think that's the show I think we're going to try to wrap it up. So Avengers Finity war is out everywhere. Isle of dogs, probably not out everywhere, but it is getting some more theatrical run as as you're hearing this. And we, we won't rehash our opinions on those. So, uh, (laughs) Positive from me on both. Chris, positive on Isle of Dogs. Correct. And then our news items and our recommendations. And I think we have a full episode. So, Chris, after listening to this show, if anybody says, you know what? I am a comic book fan and I want to give Chris Fry a piece of my mind for telling me that my preferred form of storytelling is dumb. (laughs) Where would they go for that? So So, uh, send an email to info at the mesh.tv and uh, put something in the subject line that flags it for foot candle films. And yeah, you know, not or that, flag it for Chris Fry too. Or, I want yeah, to make sure he gets it and say like Infinity War is the most amazing movie ever, <laughs> and uh, you need to appreciate it more. That's uh, that's fair. Um, also, we would be remiss if we didn't say um, Foot Candle Film Society is putting on a Foot Candle Film Festival in September, September twenty eighth through the thirtieth. So that's going to come up. We'll have more information about the movies we'll be showing later. But as for right now, if you are a filmmaker and you're interested in submitting your work, you have until June 18th to do that. And all you have to go do is go to footcandlefilmfestival.com. And there's a link there to submit your work through, um, letterboxd, not letterboxd. That's something else. (laughs) Film freeway. Film freeway. Yeah, Yeah. 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 We would love to see both the films. Uh, we have until end of June. Yep. For that June 18th, June 18th the for the cutoff. Right. And then, um, and then of course we'll be selling tickets for the actual festival after we've made the final selections in July. Correct. So be on the lookout for that in July as we start to promote the ticket sales and uh, announcing the final lineup of films for the September festival as well. Letterboxd, I did mention that. That's something that if you want to keep up with what films Alan and I are trying to watch every once in a while, we may try to write a review of it. 
uh, website. We both have accounts on there. That's Letterbox without the final E. Um, but check that out. That's kind of a good way to keep up on films and see things you or hear about things you might not have heard of. Absolutely. So. All right. Well, that should wrap us up for the show. Again, we will be back soon. Uh, please subscribe if you'd like to make sure you get all future episodes. Or you can just always visit the Mesh website and view them, listen to them on demand if you would rather go that route. If you happen to subscribe through something like iTunes, you want to go ahead and give us a rating while you're there. That would be awesome because that uh, does help us reach more listeners. So we appreciate it. It does. The more ratings we get, you know, obviously, hopefully, if they're good ratings, but even if they're not, it does at least generate more uh, search uh, results for people looking for other film discussion show like this one. True. All right. Thanks so much, everybody, for listening, and we'll uh, talk to you in our next episode. See you in the ticket line. Special thanks to Carpal Tuller for the show theme music. For more about Carpal Tuller, visit www.carpaltuller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.